Hello, my name is Dr. Jim Doty, and I'm the host of the Into the Magic Shop podcast, where we explore the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart. Hi, this is Dr. Jim Doty, host of the Into the Magic Shop podcast. Today I'm sharing with you a conversation I had with Gurudev Shri Shri Ravi Shankar on June 7, 2014, as part of my Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education Conversation on Compassion series. This will be divided into two parts. As many of you know, Sri Sri Ravi Shankar is a globally revered spiritual and humanitarian who has spearheaded an unprecedented worldwide movement for a stress-free and violence-free society. There are a myriad of programs and teachings and a network of organizations, including the Art of Living and the International Association for Human Values. His work has spanned now 180 countries and has reached an estimated 500 million people. Sri Sri has developed unique, impactful programs that empower, equip, and transform individuals to tackle challenges at a global, national, community, and individual level. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Sri Sri, really, what a wonderful honor to have you here. We were actually talking about cricket a little earlier before we came in here. I had avoided a conversation about soccer since we lost today. <laughs> um, but I got a soccer cap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, he, although he, he, I gave him a Seacare cap, and uh, he, he did wear it, but he didn't wear it so our, so our logo was up front. He was wearing it backwards, <laughs> li- li- like a rapper. So uh, I... I, I didn't want to say anything. But. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I'm always interested in in these conversations, and uh, we were talking earlier, and I don't many of you are probably aware, over the last four months or so, we've actually been honored to have a number of uh, individuals who have committed their lives to service and who are extraordinarily spiritual individuals. We've had Sadhguru, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Amma, and of course, most recently, uh, Sri Sri. But one of the things that I'm always interested in these conversations is, with one or two exceptions perhaps, these individuals who are like on this path were not born this way. Now, so I guess the first question, were you born this way? You know, we're all born the same way. <laughs> and I remained, in some sense, I didn't grow, grow up. You know, usually I say I, I'm a teenager who has refused to grow up. So there's certain things uh, that doesn't change. And one of that is that we're all born with innate quality to connect with everybody and to maintain our, what you call, uh, compassion or innocence or friendliness. Well, you know, it's interesting that we know science shows that children early on until they're probably two years old or so actually have this innate empathy and compassion. And uh, over time, uh, that seems to actually diminish. Uh, and 
Uh, do you think that's a manifestation of sort of being in a cultural environment where those attributes get translated into more of how to interact within your culture and sort of create these protective mechanisms? Or what do you think happens to children to sort of change that? Many things contribute for their behavior patterns that, that changes time to time. Um, but the knowledge of what one is, what the mind is, who we are, like memory, intellect, ego, the mind, this is missing. Nobody teaches us, you know, how to manage our emotions, how to manage our own mind. And this is where uh, spiritual knowledge comes into play. Tells you how breath, body, mind, they're all related and the different modes and tendencies of the mind can be changed. So your whole perception and observation and expression in life can be affected by, by your own will rather than feeling a victim of uh, our own perception. We are able to have a say over how we see. And so you gain a multidimensional approach in looking, judging, or absorbing, understanding anything around you. So um, what advice would you have to a parent of a child uh, as to how to instill these types of values or behaviors, if you will, into their children? First of all, we need to understand kids. And second is give them an opportunity to, you know, to serve in society, you know, to express their uh, friendliness, express their compassion. That would help. And uh, again, things like yoga, meditation from a very young age, and inspiring stories, uh, sitting in front of them, role models, not just aggression, you know. Today, unfortunately, uh, the pride got itself latched on to aggression. If someone is aggressive in the classroom or in the television, children think that is a role model. They don't see compassion, love or caring as a role model. And that's how they move towards the role model, what they perceive. Uh, we can give them a different role model. See, for example, when we were growing up, our role model was, see how Mahatma Gandhi did what he did, you know, how he used to be very compassionate, even to a, even not to kill a bug, even to a goat, he used to be very compassionate. So these sort of stories on compassion or role models of love and compassion have to be instilled very at very engaged. I think that would help uh, children from moving to a violent uh, tendencies. Well, <clears throat> we look at America as an example, where compared to the rest of the world, we are uh, considered very affluent, yet we have theoretically everything that many people in third world uh, countries believe that they want, and we have an epidemic of isolation, anxiety, loneliness, and depression. And this is a society that's made of 300 million people out of the 7.2 billion or so who consume 25% of the world's resources. Obviously, the paradigm we're in is not working uh, or even sustainable. 
what are your thoughts on that? Or is there a solution? And how would you recommend going forward? You know, there are two I know that's an easy question. I, I'm trying to throw <laughs> softballs at you. No, it's, the, there are two different dimensions. One is to be affluent. There is nothing wrong in being affluent. Let us make it very clear. One doesn't have to feel guilty that they are affluent. Being affluent is one thing and being able to share the wealth with others is another thing. Caring, uh, I mean, encouraging shared values and encouraging sharing what you have. And I tell you, even in this, America is very, very good at it because there is so many philanthropists in America than anywhere else in the world. And people have that heart to give and share and care for others. So affluence is not uh, any hindrance for a growth of society. Sharing is already there, but what might be essential here is for people to learn how to get go, let go of the insecurity, how to create that happiness within oneself. And I see that happiness is nothing to do with the wealth. In many places, if you see Bhutan, it's a very poor country, much poorer than India, and people are very happy. In India, if you go to slums, for example, in the Dharavi slum, we have a slum school there. We are caring for several thousand, uh, several hundred children. And they, the kids and the parents, the smile, the confidence, uh, the happiness you find in them, you don't even find in the affluent area. So perhaps when these values become more prevalent in society, when a wave of happiness is created through whatever means possible, there can't be only one, there could be many ways to create happiness in society. That could perhaps reduce the crime in the society. That can perhaps reduce the gun culture. You see, gun culture is because of anxiety and lack of trust in the other. That's what, that's what I, would, I would say. But one of the things we find actually oftentimes is that as people become more and more affluent, oftentimes they're less and less generous. And uh, that seems to be almost a, a truism. Uh, that is again um, not affluence. I would say it's a poverty of spirit. <laughs> because spirit is not confident that it can generate. See, a person who lacks confidence and one who lacks an intuitive ability and compassion is a sort of poverty of the spirit. And they're not happy. They can't be happy. Getting back to your childhood. So, your sister tells a story, and she says that, in fact, while she actually has uh, uh, been a follower of yours herself, that she described you as a mischievous and humorous child, um, <laughs> and gives the example of you taking your father's suitcase before he went on a trip and, and taking all his papers out and filling the suitcase toys. with toys. <laughs> Yeah, it caused a lot of embarrassment for him. He went to a board meeting and opens his suitcase and all the toys pop up from that. <laughs> Spirituality need not be too serious, you know, there is fun. I, I always say, my first book is known as God Loves Fun. 
So, so take it light, uh, create a lighter atmosphere on you. Humor is something that that puts grease among in, in a very conflicting situation. Whenever there is friction, humor can uplift the whole atmosphere. Uh, and goal of spirituality is to uplift the spirit, uplift the whole atmosphere. And uh, of course, humor plays a role in it. <laughs> Actually, we were talking earlier about the fact that uh, obviously Sri Sri uh, is a very humorous individual, and uh, but you know you spend time with the Dalai Lama or Amma or some of these other individuals, Desmond Tutu, and people who oftentimes have had extraordinary uh, periods of suffering in their own lives, and the extraordinary thing, as it seems to me, and, and uh, is that that experience itself has made them understand how important humor is and not to get so wrapped up and to always keep a uh, lightness of spirit. And I think that's uh, really important. Yeah, uh, of course, suffering does uh, brings a resilient one's uh, spirit. But I tell you, it's not necessary you have to go through the suffering. If you have uh, that soft heart and keenness of awareness, you can see others suffering and you can learn from that also. It's not necessarily an individual has to go through all the ordeal. That's what I would feel. I haven't had any such big suffering, but to say that um, for me it was a very different journey. Well, you know, it's it's interesting though because sometimes there are people who look to people who they think are affluent or successful and somehow think that they're not suffering. And oftentimes, these individuals actually have deep suffering, perhaps in a different way. But, uh, well, maybe we can talk a little bit more about your own background. Now, you went to university, but soon thereafter began a relationship with Maharishi Yogi. And maybe you can tell us about that, or, or what was it in your own upbringing, or <clears throat> maybe what was it that you were seeking or wished to obtain by that relationship? W what allowed that to happen, or what was it about? Actually, him? I was, uh, you know, I, I was reciting Gita at a very young age. I don't know how it came to how I was reciting. I myself don't know. But uh, when Maharshi Mahesh Yogi was touring India doing the science and uh, uh, spirituality, Vedic science, and uh, these conferences, Vedan science conferences. So I was invited to be part of it. Uh, that's how we started. Then I went to several of his uh, uh, seminars. Then I spent some time with him. That's how we got into it. But my teacher was a Chat Sudhakar Chaturvedi. Uh, he was a big scholar of all the four Vedas. Very rarely you find person of that scholarliness. So perhaps in my teenage I would say something or write some essays which appealed to people at the time. Maharshiji liked it very much. So he had invited me to be part of the whole. Uh, so your project. own teacher is now 116? Right? Yeah. Wow. So, wow. <clears throat> Actually it was interesting. You were saying Mahatma Gandhi was his student and <clears throat> then you became his student uh, yeah. after that, and he didn't have any other students. No, he didn't. <laughs> Is that because you were a handful, or...? <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> I guess so. I <laughs> <laughs> was a little too old by then. <laughs> um, he used to tell us every day some stories of, uh, uh, you know, what was his days with Mahatma Gandhi was like and very inspiring. So we, when we grew up, we grew up with these stories of uh, role models of compassion, of non-violence, of caring for others. I think that has helped very much in those the whole generation. When we were talking earlier and just now about role models and it seems as though we look at Western entertainment, uh, television, movies, that actually are the antithesis of these values, yet they're spreading all over the world and having, actually, I think, in many ways, a negative impact. Do you have any thoughts on that? Today, I think, if you see in the global scenario, the West is no longer West and East is no longer East. There is a sort of mix-up everywhere. So you will find all these violent things in the East as much as it is in the West. But there is this, uh, there is an awareness that's growing up these days. People are being conscious that the impact, the ill effects of these uh, these things on the society, and that's one good sign. That gives us more hope. Yeah, society is moving in the right direction. Yeah. Unfortunately, as I said earlier, the pride got itself latched on to violence. And um, again, uh, basically I see that every individual is beautiful. In my eyes, everyone is, they have the seed of enlightenment, or I would call it. It just need a little nurturing. They need to know how to get rid of stresses. See, we learn how to drive car, we learn how to operate computer. But no one teaches us how to handle your negative emotions. It's not in the curriculum. So if you are upset, people say, yeah, get over it. And how to get over it? <laughs> how to get over it? You know, people get into a relationship, they fall out, and then they are in... Such a turmoil. You can find that even this campus, I, I, I suppose, <laughs> in university campus are full of broken hearts and uh, they need a repair somewhere, you know. I usually say we repair our broken hearts here and set it back. That is, we need to understand through our breath, through our meditation, we can fix our, our inner uh, peace, our inner self. Our broken hearts can be mended Breath is the secret, because see, anything in the mind is not so tangible, you cannot hold on to it. So breath is something that is neither tangible nor intangible, in between. And it has the link between the sensation in the body and the feelings in the mind. So what really bothers us is a sensation in the body and the feeling in the mind. And breath is the intermediary. Using breath, you can cleanse these uh, so-called negative emotions. Why I would call negative is, is that uh, that doesn't last longer. It's not our true nature. It's like a shadow. 
सो वन कैन गेट रिड ऑफ स्ट्रेस वन कैन गेट रिड ऑफ नेगेटिव इमोशंस और एटलीस्ट हैव अ से ओवर इट यू मे नॉट बी एबल टू टोटली ओवरकम इट इन अ शॉर्ट पीरियड ऑफ टाइम बट टू अ ग्रेट एक्सटेंट एटी नाइन्टी परसेंट यू विल हैव अ से ओवर इट एंड दैट हेल्प्स पीपल एंड दिस आउट ऑफ एजुकेशन आई थिंक वी शुड प्रोवाइड टू अर As I say, we learn dental hygiene. Mother teaches you how to brush your teeth. If you go uh, to Africa in in this, in, you know, in the safaris, and there are the tribal people, they live there. They never have seen brush, or they never brush the teeth. But we all are grew up knowing how to brush our teeth. It's because it was part of the culture. Like that, like dental hygiene. I would say we need to have mental hygiene also. <laughs> and spirituality is the knowledge of mental hygiene how to keep yourself fresh free from the negative uh, impressions in the mind so again co- coming to compassion you know compassion also should not be misplaced misplaced compassion is no good for society like breathing in and breathing out we need passion we need dispassion and we need compassion all three has to exist people without passion cannot achieve anything in their life so you need passion especially youngsters they need to have a passion if they lack passion they get into depression so passion is essential but only passion this has been the problem only passion will lead to disappointment and despair so you need to have little detachment that is dispassion and dispassion is where it's like okay you did lot of activity and you take some time to sleep rest you let everything go and you relax you switch over to the side and meditation is part of that the ability to let go and move forward that i would call as dispassion and in between we need compassion which you are an expert of <laughs> you were talking about breathing and you getting back to maharishi yogi you obviously spent time with him and with your own teacher we were just talking about but at some point you had a I don't know a vision or an insight regarding actually breathing. Obviously, Maharishi Yogi promotes transcendental meditation. How did that come up on you? What was the insight? Did you find TM useful, or is this just another tool? Look, uh, more than TM, he was a wonderful personality. He was a very, very uh, powerful personality. Very nice person. and of course tm it's changed the life of millions of people but i felt that something coming up there is something that is needed more so i took 10 day of silence uh, in 1982 8182 at that time then i came up with this um, it just came to me like a, yeah like a poem i had no interest to set up an organization i had no interest to start something i was just in a in villages i was just doing some service activities and 
then a bunch of people came around guys they asked me to say something and whatever i said it did something good to them then by word of mouth then it started happening that way it's 35 almost 33 years now wow and now millions of people have yeah, been yeah yeah but this vision i used to get that uh, people all over the world in native i used to say that when i was a kid <laughs> and i was branded you're telling lies don't tell lies you know scolded by mother several times <laughs> it was such a compulsion for me to say no i have people I have everywhere and used to tell her but i had no way to prove what i was saying that it's this is the fact it's very tough you know those <laughs> but you have a vision. you know something is right you know something is true but you could not translate that or tell uh, your friends you know my friends in my schools would say oh i have friends and relatives everywhere in the world so many people are there stamps those days the stamp collection was a big thing so i will get you stamp get you coins and all these things they used to tell my friends so they would come and ask my mom do you have people in america in new york in in paris in frankfurt my mother said what <laughs> and then my friends later on they put in the you know in the toilet uh, of school they put all the new london new york <laughs> <laughs> just to you know make fun of me they wrote all the names in the toilet but that's where he is going <laughs> <laughs> i would never use in the school you know i'd go home <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the secret. Just you hold it you just this. <laughs> uh it give give me lot of endurance to use the bathroom. <laughs> See? Use the bathroom in the morning in the whole at home and come back only at lunch time at 12 or 1 1 o'clock 2 o'clock. This is probably only venue where you have actually heard that This is the secret. <laughs> Where do I go from there? <laughs> Life is mysterious. Life is so beautiful. You know, it's much more than what we think we know or we are. It's so huge, so vast. I mean, our consciousness is something which we It, it's such a mysterious thing such mystic that you cannot really understand you can leave it maybe and it amazes you every time you go layer after layer layer you go deep in so all i would say is life is a journey from an ugly i don't know to a beautiful i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're frustrated that's what you say i don't know you know but anger if anyone asks you a question when you are frustrated and agitated so i don't know but i think the journey from there is beautiful i don't know <laughs> what do you say i don't know <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I expected that on. <laughs> we set that up, actually. <laughs> I'm interested in science, and uh, you know, one of the things we have found is that through breathing, you can actually really have a profound effect on your autonomic nervous system. And I think this is one of the realities of this. And what we, we find is that fear and anxiety are when our flight or fight or uh, mechanism or this reptilian brain of ours feels threatened. And this type of breathing actually takes you from that position to really what many people would consider our default mode, which is engagement of our parasympathetic nervous system. And this is the system that uh, um, promotes social connection, gives you a sense of calmness, uh, actually really is associated with uh, increased creativity, what we call flow, and also uh, really puts your executive control of that part of your frontal lobe uh, really also at its best. And what happens with fear and anxiety is those get shut down and then uh, when you have fear and anxiety, it's very difficult uh, to function. And I think that while uh, this may have been a uh, miraculous insight, I think what uh, science has shown is that these types of breathing techniques really do have a, a profound impact. And I think that's why there are so many uh, people interested in this uh, who found it a benefit. And in fact, when you promote that side of you, this is how this feeling of openness and connection and desire to serve actually oftentimes manifests itself because it, it really gives you uh, this deep feeling. And for many people, it also connects with that meaningful purpose in one's life, I think. Again, thank you for being with us today. The Into the Magic Shop podcast can be found where you find your most popular podcasts, or you can find us at intothemagicshop.com.